Hi, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name's Jay Wetter, and with me today is Misha Globerman, who teaches conflict resolution in Toronto. You may recognize his name. He spoke earlier this year at the Canola Council of Canada's convention. And we start off this conversation with more on how he got into this line of work. It was a long and circuitous path that led to me being interested in this, so I'm not quite sure. Part of what I do, um, I do a lot of teaching, and it seems like a really weird route, but I taught um, improvisation in theater and music. Uh, and I think there's a lot of a lot of the stuff that I do has some grounding in that, and I think that that is about how people collaborate in some ways. And then I was also doing um, some work at the time um, running meetings, doing facilitation. And I think the biggest thing at the time was that I was running a residence association, and I was seeing all of these um, uh, conflicts that were happening in my neighborhood and the ways in which people uh, really quickly would kind of get polarized onto one side of an issue and have a hard time seeing things and how that led to um, bad outcomes for everybody in the neighborhood. I think those things sort of combined. And then while I was working on all those things at once, I came across a colleague of mine showed me some stuff he was teaching, which was the materials from the program on negotiation at Harvard Law School, which is the stuff that I teach. And he showed it to me, and I was like, oh, this is exactly what's happening in my neighborhood. I have to learn more about this. So I very quickly <laughs> started learning more, and pretty soon after that, I guess, started teaching. It's pretty easy to draw a parallel between what's happening on, on farms and in rural communities versus your um, urban resident society. Or... The principles, the, the sort of conflict resolution principles that um, get taught through the program on negotiation are pretty universal in their applicability. I mean, they get used for... Like it's not just urban and rural, but they get used for, you know, you know, down at the micro level on like family level stuff all the way up to like, you know, um, the same principles are used for like resolving global conflicts and writing peace treaties and things like that. Same principles work in a really broad, broad range of areas. Is there a mindset a, a person has to have when going into uh, conflict resolution or just sort of day-to-day -day management of conflict in terms of, um, you know, what expectation and and what I'm wondering is, is conflict ever resolved or is it just managed and accepted and made the best yes, of? I mean, I think I, I mean, I think both. I think sometimes you can actually come to an, you know, depends what you mean by those words. I think there are some people who don't like the word conflict resolution. I'm not fussy about those words particularly. So I think sometimes, yeah, you can have a disagreement and then when it's over, you can be like, yeah, we don't disagree anymore. So that's a resolution. I think conflict is always there. And I think, I mean, in terms of mindset, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, that's, the mindset is kind of the most important thing, and that's when you're teaching people how to deal with this stuff, there are some sort of approaches to instruction where people feel that they can like teach you how to do these skills by like teaching you like certain phrases you could say or something like that. But those are uh, superficial and don't really solve the problem. What, what actually matters is exactly what you ask about. It's the mindset that you have to sort of, you have to work on your mindset a little bit and, and figure out how to adjust your mindset in a way that makes it, makes it more likely to have better outcomes. So you want to watch for uh, people who sort of uh, who, who say that the solution is going to be super easy because it yeah. isn't, uh, or that or that the solution is going to be magical and always help you get your way, which it won't. I mean, the test for that second thing, which is a really obvious thing, is sometimes there are books on this stuff, where what they do is like this is a book that will teach you how to always get your way, and it's like, well, if you think that through for a minute, what if the other guy also bought that book? It can't be true for both of you. Like there's something, there's something in the promise, in the very promise of that title that's a lie, right? So there's something, there, there, you've got to be missing something there. Um, hmm. and, and I think a lot, and a lot of the mindset, I think, is about understanding that, uh, it gets phrased in different ways, but I think a lot, you know, it's about, it's about getting, it's about 
being able to see things from the other person's point of view is a really big part of it and about being to, um, paradoxically, I think, the answer is that like a lot of the ways to get what you want out of those situations is to actually um, give up a little bit of control and not try to control the outcomes quite as directly as you might otherwise do. Tell me about the word position when it comes to conflict. The idea of positions is that um, is that this, this approach to dealing with negotiations is often called interest-based negotiations. And what that means is you want to try to make a shift in the conversation from um, talking about positions, which are the kind of surface level things that people ask for, and shifting to an underlying idea of interest, which is the reason why that thing matters to you. Um, and, that, and the idea is that by making that shift, very often you can come to much, much, much better solutions. Um, and, it, and again, it takes a bit of work. It's not something that comes naturally for people. But that very often people go into a conversation and they think, well, I know what I want. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try to get that thing. Um, and, and the other party is trying to get something different. And you don't get anywhere. But if you talk about the underlying reasons why it matters, uh, then you can start to get to solutions. Hmm. The, story, the story, right, is that story of the orange that I gave in the talk that you heard. I can tell you that story again because you've heard it, but your podcast listeners. Yeah, sure. So the story of the orange is this. This is like the classic. This is the classic story in the negotiation literature about interest versus positions, and it goes like this. The story is um, there are two little kids, two sisters, uh, and they're at home, and there's this one orange, and they're fighting over the orange. And their dad comes in and he sees them fighting over the orange, and he's like, ask them what's going on. And each sister wants the orange, and they're giving all these reasons why they want the orange to their father. Um, father doesn't find any of these reasons uh, particularly compelling. Uh, so what he does is he does the fairest thing he can think to do, which is he takes the orange, he cuts it in half, uh, he gives uh, half of the orange to each sister and sends them off on their way. So he goes up the next day and he comes back to the sisters, the first sister, and he says, how, how did that go? And the sister says, oh, you know, I see uh, how what you did was fair. I mean, I, I really wanted the orange because I was making orange juice. And uh, because I only had half the orange, I could only make half as much juice as I hoped. But, you know, it was fair, I understand. He goes up to the second sister and he says, how did it go? And she says, oh, you know, I see how what you did was fair. Um, I wanted the orange because I was baking a recipe for a cake. And the recipe called for the rind, for the peel of the orange. Because I only had half the orange, I could only make half the, half the recipe. But I, I see how what you did was fair. So, so obviously, when you see our story, you're like, oh, right, there's this really obvious thing. <laughs> you, yeah, you have heard the story before. I don't know if you remember it from the talk. Um, but that's the like the thing that he overlooked is like there was clearly this solution that was there that was overlooked, which is that you could have divided up the orange differently. You could have given one daughter all the rind, and you could have given one daughter all the pulp, and that you know they could have both had what they wanted. To put that in the language of positions and interests, on the surface level, their positions seem like they are diametrically opposed to each other. One daughter says, "I want the orange." The other daughter says, "I want the orange." That though you can't that can't both happen, right? And then and then the the traditional approach in when people disagree on positions is people try to sort of find these halfway bar, these halfway compromise solutions that, are, that we sometimes call positional bargaining. So you think, well, you'll get half and I'll get half. And you think, well, maybe I'll get 60% and you'll get 40% because I deserve a little more. And you're, you're kind of like the positional bargaining model is like you're kind of moving the knife over the orange and, and sort of fighting over where it's going to go. But where that conversation is potentially transformed is if you, you shift it from the uh, superficial position, which is, what do you want? I want the orange, to the underlying interest. And the underlying interest is just, why? Why do you want that? And in that case, if, if, either, if you were to just have that conversation, the solution would be completely obvious, right? You say, oh, you, right, you want to make juice, you want to make cake, here's how we can do it. And I, and, and I think that actually there's a lot, that that kind of situation is actually, I mean, this story is contrived to illustrate this point. But the thing that I think is that there's actually lots of situations like this in life where you can get 
to these kinds of solutions pretty quickly um, if people just take the time to talk about the underlying reasons why things matter to them. And that, I mean, the question of why, I and mean, that sounds like yeah. the question that isn't often asked or isn't asked enough yeah, is that, right. you know, why are you so upset about this? Or yeah, exactly. why, why is this, why is this so important to you? Exactly. And, that, and, and, and that's part of what I was saying earlier, I think, where the mindset is, try, is trying to understand the other person's point of view. So someone comes in and they have some desire and their desire seems unreasonable to you. And so your first response, like your, and, and maybe sometimes in your example, like, right, their desire just seems like it's baffling. Like, why would a person want that? And very often our first response is then just to say no, because the desire seems crazy. But the thing that I would suggest is like a better thing to do is if someone's desire seems baffling to you, there's some information you're missing. There, there's probably a reason behind it that you don't know. And uh, if what you're trying to do is problem solve, you can problem solve better when you have more information. And the missing piece of information is, why do they want this thing? And, and people have all kinds of different, you know, everyone sees the world from their own eyes and from their own situations and stuff like that. So people always have all kinds of reasons that aren't obvious. And, and a lot of the time, once you hear people's reasons, they, the position doesn't seem as crazy. And then often you can also find other ways to satisfy it too. And I can think of in, in agriculture business, say where a farmer wants to sell his grain to an elevator and the elevator gives him a, a price that, that the farmer doesn't like. And so there's a clear conflict there. But th th so the positions are laid out, but the, I think the, the interest is that that they want to somehow figure out a way to keep doing business together because yep. they need yeah. each other. The farmer needs yep. the buyer. And <laughs> yep. so, I mean, going into it that way is, okay, how do we make it so that we can keep doing business and and then approach the, the, the that day's conflict with that ultimate goal in mind? Would, would I mean, it seems logically that that would be a help. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, yeah, so, so looking at what those interests are, even on things like price, uh, price is an example where very often the interests really are divergent. The farmer would rather charge more, you know, the buyer would rather pay less. Those interests are divergent. But sometimes there's other places there where people have other interests where you can find, um, you can find room to create a uh, compromise. Like one person might need the money sooner than later, or one person might need, you know, there are things like that where, the term, where there are other terms in the agreement other than the price where looking at underlying interests can seem important. You say, oh, I really, you know, I really need a good price on this. Why? Well, I have this financial need right now, well, we can pay you, you know, we can pay you more up front and, you know, do those kinds of things. The other, the other thing that you named, that's a, that's a big part of it too, is talking about the relationship between the, the farmer and the buyer. And in that case, yeah, that, that one of the things too that we teach in negotiation is that the relationship itself is very often something to really work on. And one of the things to keep in mind in a negotiation, especially in one when you're going to be dealing with the person again in the future, is that you actually want to work on two things at once. You want to work on the substance of the negotiation, which is like just, you know, things like the price and the deal and stuff like that. But you also want to work on the relationship. You want to continue to have a solid relationship where you guys can come to good agreements in the future and where you uh, can trust each other and where you can work together well and all those kinds of things. And it doesn't mean you have to love each other. And it also doesn't mean you have to, that you can't disagree about what you want, but you want to have a relationship where you feel like you're being, where you're working well together within, the, within whatever those confines are. And that's really important. And again, people often lose track of that. What people sometimes do is they will um, pursue some short-term gain in a way where like, oh, on this deal, I'll get a really good deal. But the long-term cost is like to get that good deal, I did something really sneaky that will be damaging to my trust with this other party for you know, a long time to come. And so in the long run, the costs to me will actually be much greater than the short-term gain because I've damaged the relationship. 
So understanding the importance of relationships is a huge part of what we want of the things that we talk about and teach. And obviously the importance of the relationship, it, there's nothing bigger than in a, in a family conflict. And farms are, are often run, usually run as family businesses and, and the succession from, from father and mother to son or daughter. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a huge part of making the business work. Yeah. But if, when those conflicts occur, what, what would you advise as, as a first step toward working it out? The first, uh, there's, I can give a couple. I think the first step is um, you want to, and this is I think a really common mistake, is that very often we say, okay, there's a conflict. What I'm going to do is I'm going to fix it. And, and, what I, and so what I'll do to fix it is I'm going to think in my head about what the solution is. I'm going to go to the other person and I'm going to say, hey, I see that we have this conflict. I have the solution. Here it is. And that's kind of the opposite of what you want to do in some ways. Because um, what you've done there is you've basically done that all on your own. And in fact, what you typically need to do is you need to resolve the conflict um, in partnership. In, you know, the, the parties in the conflict need to resolve it together and they need to resolve it in partnership. And that means a few things. It means, first of all, um, you have to come up with an understanding of the conflict that, that the parties agree to. So, for in, so, you, so your view of the conflict might be different from the other person, person's view of the conflict. Um, so the first thing to do is to just get a shared understanding. So typically what you want to do is start off just by naming the conflict, seeing if they agree to it, and then inviting them to be your partner in resolving it rather than doing it yourself. So you might say something like, say like, hey, I think we have a big conflict here about this. Does that seem about right to you? And they might say yes. And they might say no. And if they say no, then you want to actually be curious and say, well, why not? What do you, what do you see? Tell me about what you see differently. And come to an understanding where you guys just have a shared agreement about what the conflict is. And then what you want to say is you want to say, you know, it seems to me we'd be better off if we could work this out. Does that sound right to you? And then you have to get their agreement on that too. Those steps are actually, they're easy steps to forget, but they're critically important because anything you do after, anything you do after that, if you sort of barge in and say, look, we have to resolve this conflict, but the other person hasn't agreed to that, what you've actually done is you've created a new conflict. <laughs> you've now cre created a conflict about whether you're trying to resolve the conflict or not. Um, and that's not going to help, especially if people are already feeling bad about each other. So the first step is really to, to get their agreement to work on it together. And that first step is huge. Anything else we should add or talk about? I teach a six-week course in this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I can talk about this for about 18 hours uh, because it's a six, three-hour session before I run out of stuff to say. But but those are, you know, I, I think the questions you asked are, are you know, provocative and interesting questions, and I hope those answers are helpful to you and your listeners and readers in thinking about this stuff a little bit. I guess, I guess the other thing I would suggest to people for sure is that if, if people want to learn more about this stuff, um, most of the stuff I teach comes out of a couple of books, and they're really good books. Uh, there's a book called Getting to Yes uh, by Roger Fisher. Um, it's a short, easy read, uh, and it's great. And another book called, um, and that's about negotiations. There's another book called Difficult Conversations that's written by Associations of Roger Fisher. And it's written by uh, Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen and Bruce Patton. And uh, it's also great. And both these books are, they're pretty easy reads. They're pretty straightforward and really, really, really practical. Thanks, Misha. Misha's website is mishagloberman.com and Globerman is G-L-O-U-B-E-R-M-A-N. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. For more on Canola Watch, go to canolawatch.org. I'm Jay Wetter. Thanks for listening.